Before we start the show, just a word from our sponsor, Undeniable Press. For all your screen printing needs, located in the Corktown District of Detroit, Michigan. If you ever need any t-shirts or any other little promo accessories, posters, or whatnot printed up for you, go to Undeniable Press. They're located, once again, in the Corktown District of Detroit, Michigan. And you can uh, reach them at facebook.com slash undeniablepressdetroit. And those same guys who do Undeniable Press also have a clothing line called 20 by 20 Apparel. It's very much wrestling themed. All sorts of nostalgic themes in regards to the history of wrestling. And you can go check out their clothing line at 20x20apparel.com. That's the number 20x, the number 20, apparel.com. Now let's start the show. Fresh is the word. I'm Jim Duggan, got long wood for plenty hoes. I keep it fresher than fresh, but you already know. You suckers bummy, I'm money, I got a ton of flows. My weed loud like a motherfucking thunder roll. Your shit quiet like you ballin' on a budget though. We see your kicks and we laugh and yelling what it goes. You see me shining like a suit on puffy. You know my grind and shit is too strong, buddy. That's why the dude call money. I be stuntin' like it's nothing at all. Cause it's nothing to me, it's probably something to y'all. Trying to smoke like me, then come and fuck with your dog. Got a closet full of kicks, you can't cop it tomorrow. And I'm fresher than the freshest, you can tell it's in my essence. Bitch, you see the way I'm rapping? Yes, I do this shit to death. I tell I'm running out of breath. I tell somebody cut a check, but either way, you know it's fresh. But either way, you know it's fresh. Fresh, we fresh. Fresh, 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 fresh. fresh. goddammit, we fresh. Welcome to the Fresh of the Word podcast. I'm your host, Kelly K. Fresh Frazier. We are back. After a bit of a six-month hiatus, we're back with new episodes. I'm feeling reinvigorated, feeling refreshed. It's like a rebirth. Just needed some time off to sort of refresh the word, so to speak. And we have a great show coming up for you. And we've got some great guests already lined up. So I definitely want to just, you know, get into things. But beforehand, I want to definitely, you know, bring you up to speed about what's going on. Get some new changes onto the podcast. I'm going to, you know, more focus on storytelling this time. Uh, we're going to trim down the episodes also. Before, I used to have the discussion portion with V-Styles afterwards. But it got to be a little bit too long for each uh, episode. So what we're going to do is... Uh, those segment that segment with V Styles is going to be its own dedicated episode every once in a while, not on a weekly basis, and we're just going to focus on storytelling with the guests that I have. And before I used the subtitle of the website is that it was a podcast about music, pro wrestling, MMA. I went ahead and dropped that because I wanted it to be a little bit more. So it's still going to have like guests from those realms, but also guests that are comic book art authors um, and anything sort of like that I kind of dig in the realms of pop culture. And I'm super excited about this. Each episode will be a little bit more digestible. I'm going to kind of ease back a little bit as an interviewer and sort of listen more and have the guests you know, tell their story. I'm going to, you know, definitely ask the right questions, get her in, make sure we go down a, just a nice 
line of questioning and storytelling because that's what I want is to tell good stories and have some sort of actionable lessons to come out of it. I want people to, you know, listen to each podcast and have a little bit of a bit of some some bits of information to chew on afterwards. So to get into things, for the first episode back, we're on episode 72 in total. I got a good friend of mine, someone that I've known for a long time. Uh, he goes by the name of Tad Mullenix, but uh, many of people would know him under his hip-hop, electronic music alias, which is Dobry. And recently, he finally came out with another Dobry album after like 12 years. The final installment of his trilogy, it's called 3-3, and it has a slew of guests on there. Guilty Simpson, Ghostface Killer, MF Doom, Rocky Marciano. Man, a whole slew of things. It's a great album. Touches on his history and all sorts of, like, sort of, his, his, his sort of styles of hip-hop. Really dope album. You'll hear, you'll hear songs that sound like some 90s, like Smith & Wesson type stuff. Then you'll hear stuff that's a little bit harder and sort of electronic influenced really dope album um i first met dabri right after the not sure shortly after the release of his uh his, the first album in this trilogy one three around probably 2001 2002 i remember the day like like vividly i met him at the the yearly movement festival um that movement electronic music festival that happens at heart plaza on um, memorial day weekend and uh I went up to talk to him, and he already knew kind of who I was because at the time I was doing the website Renaissance Soul Detroit, which was sort of a homage to JD, aka Jay Dilla, and sort of the music that surrounds that sort of thing in in Detroit. So he's definitely influenced by that. So he already knew about me, and we just like sparked a friendship, you know, instantly. And I've always had a good uh, relationship with everybody over at Ghostly International. That's the label that he puts the the Dabri albums out on. And I, dude, like, I, I I give a lot to the Ghostly International um, record label, especially the founder, the owner, Sam Valente the Fourth. He's like, he's always been sort of like somebody. He's a visionary and somebody that I can always talk to to kind of, you know, get over little humps in my life. And he's always he's always 100 with me. He's always straight to the point. He's never he's never really a dick about it. He does it in his own like polite way of being able to get his point across. So I'm definitely uh, it was definitely cool to talk with uh, with Tad to talk with Dabri about the the history of the Dabri uh, moniker and along with you know the making of the of the 3-3 album and how he's always sort of you know swam the waters of this sort of electronic hip-hop style that he was an early influence uh, an influencer of that molded so many other like people's careers like everybody in the LA beat scene and all sorts of the you know the that type of hip-hop and electronic based music around the world he was definitely one of the early influencers one of the innovators of it so it was super cool to talk with him about that. Um, future, you know, I'm going to do another thing on this podcast and is also to announce the, you know, future 
uh, guests that I have. And right now I have guests coming up, uh, including Michigan-based uh, comic book authors Casey Pierce and Stephanie Menard. Also, another old friend of mine from the Renaissance Soul days is Pursuit Grooves. She's a electronic, you know, uh, Toronto-based sort of electronic soul house music producer. Uh, she has a new album out um, called uh, Felt Armor. It's really dope. So, you know, that's going to be one of the upcoming episodes. And then I was super geeked to get this interview. Um, I'm going to have a uh, upcoming episode with Chris Wolf. She's a professional wrestler uh, currently based in Japan, a part of the stardom uh, wrestling promotion out there. Uh, she's originally from the States, originally from Chicago. But, uh, and we talk about, you know, her, you know, her childhood, how she became a pro wrestler, everything she did before the pro wrestler. So I got a, there's a lot of great content going on, on Fresh is the Word coming up. Uh, one, you know, one of the things I definitely want to go back to is being very organic with who I, who I, who I interview on this podcast. And I so that's why I'm reaching back to old friends of mine, you know, my network from the past shit almost 20 years now in the music scene and i'm also the people that i sort of just naturally you know meet along the way recently whether it's you know in the music scene or going to comic book conventions or whatever you know it's going to be a little bit more a little bit more organic a little bit more homegrown because a lot of the previous podcasts I'm, i think i was getting a little bit too much into the sort of press run press run sort of publicist bubble and it was i felt like it was creating a little bit of a disconnect and now that i'm you know for the you know for the past i think it's probably about six years or seven years now i've been a contribu uh, i was a contributor for the huffington post and recently they got rid of the contributor platform on their website so I'm no longer going to be doing the, you know, Huff, writing for Huffington Post. And I think a lot of, and I'm kind of, this part of me, just to be honest, is glad that kind of went away because it was sort of a crutch. And I was using that to get also, you know, also interviews for the podcast. But I realized that there was a disconnect there. Um, because even with the Huffington Post articles, um, the way they changed things over the past couple of years, there was, there, there's a bit of an end user disconnect. Like those articles weren't reaching a viewership like on their website. They were just kind of getting lost in the shuffle. And that's, and that's actually part of the reason why they got rid of the contributors platform because it was getting lost in the shuffle because they had so many contributors. And I felt it, you know, and it really wasn't helping, you know, matters really anymore and it was actually just creating much more work for me to do when I could have been focusing more on the podcast and reaching back to my to my in my core audience to my my sort of longtime network of people that I just met organically so that's what I'm going to focus on more and that's why I have Dabri on this podcast because he is somebody that I've known for a long time so there's definitely history there I want to have like history in sort of a much more organic sort of sense of everything with fresh as the word enough of me ranting let's get to the interview with dabri 
finally, we have a new Dabri album coming out, 3-3, dropping on February 16th. This is the first Dabri album in 12 years. You know, where's Dabri been? Why the layoff? Um, well, I've been doing a few things. You know, I mean, I had... Uh, I had a lot of other projects going on and uh, there was a lot of reasons really um, why I hadn't been making hip hop. Um, I had a few things though, like, you know, I was asked by Adult Swim to do a remix for uh, CeeLo and Good Time Guys and uh, um, Mofono remix and just various little projects. So I was still... I was still producing, but I had a lot of other things that I was doing, you know, like painting, and I wanted to focus on my other styles, the techno and house music and electronica, and I wanted to start my record label. And, uh, yeah, so I was kind of tied up with other things and also wasn't really sure what my next step was going to be after 2-3. Right. What was the first thing that you did or made for this album? The first thing I made for this album? Um, um, I mean, it's kind of a long answer. <laughs> <laughs> it's Well, I, got, I, I had a track that came in late from 2-3 that was um, Georgia and Dudley. Uh, their vocal parts came pretty late. Yeah. And, you know, it was a shot in the dark anyway. You know, it's not like they, you know, messed up or anything like that. It's just uh, um, just uh, something that came in. So I had those vocal parts for a while, and I had this beat, but then some of my old equipment failed, and I lost some files, so I had to remake. I had to remake that track. Um, and then um, there's some other older older beats on there, too. But basically, I, I had made like a handful of beats over the course of maybe eight years or something. And then the momentum picked up. And uh, once I kind of got re, re-inspired, re-energized. <laughs> what, uh, what got you uh, like re-inspired, re-energized to you know, go, full, uh, go full force on this Dabri project again? Well, um... What happened was um, my wife and I, she's Armenian, we wanted to go to visit Armenia and we heard about this great um, center for creative technologies called TUMO, T-U-M-O. Okay. And um, actually it was her mother that um, was taking a tour of the facility there in the capital, Yerevan. And uh, she was talking to some of the people who were running the sounds section, the um, the studios, and teaching kids how to make music and stuff. And she mentioned my name, um, and she mentioned Dabri, and they knew who I was. <laughs> so they were like, oh, if you're connected to him, it'd be nice to maybe have him involved and maybe do a workshop or something like this. So I kind of, she relayed the message back and I had to rack my brain, like, what would I do? <laughs> uh, how would I teach the kids? You know, what, what can I convey to them about hip hop beats? And 
And it kind of made me start from the beginning again and think about how hip hop is made and what, what inspires me. And, um, yeah, so, so it had me going back to my thinking about everything and going back to my influences and listening to those old records again. And, and, uh, uh, and that kind of reignited the, uh, interest and and the ambition and, and, uh, yeah, so that's how it came back. What did you, uh, you know, what did you end up doing for this workshop? Um, well, I ended up um, teaching them how to make um, how to make beats. Basically, you know, they had Ableton Live there, so I basically went on the internet and taught myself how to use Ableton, <laughs> um, and. And yeah, and they they had you know it was six, sixteen students I think and four to a group and we had they have their little stations and I projected the screen and you know kind of told them how beats are made how a how I make them and what I think about when I'm when I need a beat to have feeling how to make that happen. Great. Yeah, you mentioned uh, through all of this uh, you know prepping for these workshops about going back into your musical influences. You know, what were your influences going into making 3-3? Kind of a culmination of everything new and old, you know. There are tracks on there that are obviously more of a throwback style. And um, so I was kind of going back in those cases to just like Pete Rock and Diamond D and even, even as far back as let the rhythm hit him and, and, um, it, uh, no one does it better. And, um, um, I'm trying to think old public enemy records, you know, fear of a black planet, just going all the way back kind of to when I was really discovering, uh, discovering hip hop. And, um, and also, you know, like my favorites, you know, Dilla, Mad Lib, and just didn't, didn't really think about anybody consciously, just kind of going back to those feelings, basically. I think if, it, if, I, if I was listening to any specific albums, uh, I wouldn't really have an answer. It's just kind of certain tracks, that kind of thing. Right. When it came time to, that you realized, okay, we're going to be making a Dabri album. 3-3 three, three is coming. After all these years of people wanting another Dabri album, you know, what was sort of your vision about how you wanted this to result? Well, you know, that was a, that was a, that, that's a big question. I mean, I, I really mulled that over for a long time. Basically, I wanted to make sure that, that it was a, sounded like a logical progression, like a natural evolution from 2-3, but also wanted to make sure that uh, it tied into the trilogy, you know, it, it, that some beats harken back to the uh, one, three album and instrumental albums. Um, but there wasn't really like a real strong um, concept for the album uh, other than it just being a, 
making sense and being a natural progression. And I think a lot of things, the way they happened after I made the beats and we sent them out to the wish list of MCs that I had made, um, that what I got back from the MCs really played a pretty large role in what the album sounds like. So, and I knew that would happen. So I tried not to build up any expectations. And um, the way that I selected the MCs had a lot to do with, you know, what the chemistry would probably be. You know, I didn't try to make any crazy pairings, you know, like, (laughs) you know, I wasn't trying to break ground and see what Ghostface would sound like on a Javanese gamelan sound and track or something, (laughs) you know, something that he'd never done before. You know, I try not to make like any trite moves and make sure that um, uh, the beats I was sending these MCs is something that I can imagine them rapping on. Right. I remember you telling me uh, back in the day that um, for 2-3, the now very classic joint Game Over with JD and Fat Cat sort of set the tone on how you made that album. Was there any tracks that you made that really set the tone for this album? Not really. I think what happened with that was working with Dilla was my first time working with a professional MC. So I had no idea what the process was going to be like and what the collaboration process was going to be like. I mean, I had experience with friends when back in the, you know, late nineties when I was sort of a bedroom producer, you know, an aspiring artist and we would just hang out and record very casually. But this was my first time getting something from a, you know, a legend basically. And, uh, let alone a professional. So in that way, it really set the tone. But with this album, I felt like, uh, the, the beat tape that I had made more or less set the tone for the album because I was kind of already familiar with the, the process. And with the release of three, three, there's going to be a box set that Ghostly's uh, coming out with that has um, reissues of all the Dobry releases, one, three, two, three, and instrumental. It looks amazing. When you uh, sort of look back to the beginning of exploring this hip hop side, you know, late nineties, early two thousands with the release of one, three, what really sticks out in your mind about that time? Uh, About the one, three era. Yes. Um, after having released the album or before having released the album or both before, (laughs) after around that time, any time that whole time, that whole era. Um, Well, I mean, that was a funny time because, uh, you know, there were, there were electronic artists uh, that were dabbling or not dabbling. I don't want to minimize their efforts, but they were really getting into uh, producing with a hip hop thing. I mean, I, with a hip hop uh, feel, I remember um, the East flat, Bush project CD that came out that had like all kinds of people like uh, Fung Storong and I think the schematic guys producing, you know, remixing tried by 12. Right. 
and and um, Prefuse seventy three was doing his thing, and there was a there was a thing, there was a sound, and it was probably pretty accurately described as glitch hop. <laughs> yeah. And I I never really liked that genre, that the name of the genre. I mean, I I I had those records. <laughs> I like those records, but but I didn't like the 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 genrefication of the sound, right? Because it kind of boiled it down to some sort of gimmick, you know, like it's going to have a glitchy sound in it. It's gonna got to sound electronic. It's got to sound like the computers on the fritz, you know. <laughs> right. And uh, and I didn't really like that approach, and I felt like uh, I mean I didn't like the the sort of the theory that people were making about it, about that sound. Um, and the kind of the tropes that were, uh, coming out of that, uh, that sort of genrefication, like just the, the, the ideas, you know, just kind of, I don't know, probably, um, I didn't like how people were distilling the sound yeah. and, I I wasn't really sure like as a as a style of music I thought it was fine to listen to but if I was going to be involved in it did I really want to have that stamp on my record you know glitch hop record you know this is the next glip, glitch hop artist or you know and I felt that hip hop already had a pretty electronic uh side to it um I mean going back to some of the earliest hip hop records actually, you know, having a heavy craft work influence and everything. Yeah, definitely. And I was, yeah. And I was also way into um, the love movement album and I had the instrumental album. Um, and I played that all the time. So that was, that was the kind of atmosphere. That was sort of my environment at that time. Those were my, my those were my thoughts about going into this, style and i also have to add that you know i mean as you know detroit has had electronic music uh in the forefront of its music culture and we know a lot of people that listen to house music and ghetto tech and and always have that also like produce hip-hop and stuff and dj des comes to mind he makes great house records and that's kind of like a that that kind of uh, that's that's the atmosphere. How are how do you think you were able to sort of sidestep that uh, glitch hop thing entirely, or to a certain extent, and sort of mold your own sound back with that first record? Well, at first it wasn't really successful, and people were calling it glitch hop anyway. Yeah. And uh, and it's fair because there are a lot of you know technical tricks that happen, rhythmic tricks that happen throughout that album you know there are a lot of um there's hesitation on the downbeat rather than a drop on the one there's a lot of triplet play um and there's a lot of sampling of really like electronic sounds and um back then i think that's more common now but back then if you had that in your music and you're making hip-hop you know, they were ready to call you glitch hop or, and then eventually the LA beat scene came up and wonky came up. Yeah. And, and, uh, that was kind of the end of the glitch hop era. In my opinion, I don't, I don't really 
I'm not like a music historian, but that's <laughs> kind of how I see it. Right. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, I really didn't, I, I didn't really gun for, I, I could have tried to make alliances with strong alliances with people other than Prefuse 73, you know, and, and really pursued getting into a scene and building a scene. And maybe eventually I would have been in more involved in low end theory and, and the LA beat scene and stuff. But yeah, I wasn't really sure how I fit in with everything. The the funny thing is, is that when uh, when it comes to things like the LA beat scene and stuff that's been adjacent to that, you know, across the world, a lot of people point to you as being that sort of inspirational seed with the likes of Profuse 73 and stuff that was coming out at that time. And the funny thing is, is that during this whole Dabri hiatus, I know there's been a lot of fans, a lot of people that have been like, look, all these other people, even people at Ghostly probably pushing you to do this. We're like, look, all these other people are getting popular, getting rich off of this beat scene sound that you were one of the, uh, you know, the planting seeds of in their mind. You know, why did you sort of resist at that time um, doing this Dabri stuff when there was such an in thing to do? And why, you know, and why did you wait to sort of come back on your own terms? I've always been that way. You know, I always needed to be on my own terms. I've got a sort of a, uh, I don't want to say, um, I don't want to say what's the word for it. It's sort of a ro- rebellion, not a contrarian, but maybe a rebellious proclivity. Um, and when I feel like, um, I feel like what happened back then was the sound really coalesced and a lot of people were inspired, not just by myself, but also Dilla and, you know, a few others. And the, the low end theory, those guys gave me so much love and they would always, you know, like tell people about me. So I don't, you know, I, I've always felt welcome and really appreciated and stuff, but the money and the fame and the shows and the spectacle and the, the, the sort of the social aspect of music can be pretty, can be pretty disappointing to be honest with you. Right. I mean, it's not, it's not how I want to live. You know, I, I live a pretty modest and quiet lifestyle and I don't need to have a crew. I don't need to have an entourage or fans and, all that kind of stuff, it just really uh, ends up being a pain in the butt, to be honest. So, <laughs> I mean, it I, really does. I, 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 you know, I don't, I, I don't, I don't really value those things very much. And I know you don't have to necessarily resist it uh, or you don't have to really pursue it strongly. You, ha- you, you can kind of go with the flow. But what ends up happening is you start going on touring circuits, uh, like really long tours, and that can be really bad for your relationships. And, you know, if you, if you get depressed, you can start doing drugs. Uh, if you have anxiety problems, you can start uh, developing drug problems and serious mental problems. And, uh, I, you know, it's just, it, it, it's just not, a, not a good look for a lot of people. I mean, we see it all the time. You know, people have, having, you know, saying stupid shit on social media and 
uh, you know, acting like assholes and thinking it's cool and all that stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I, I never really, really wanted to chase that shit. No, I get that. And even whether it's on a bigger level, even on, even on a smaller, you know, local level, when you sort of get sort of too encompassed in like those scenes and whatnot, it can quickly be a little bit overbearing and not everybody's really cut out to it. You know, sometimes I'm just like, can I just like go DJ or do music without having to like socialize so much be a part of it so much yeah absolutely yeah i mean the other the other side of it too is that um when you're in and i started to see this when i when my popularity started rising that um you know you you'll you'll start to play you'll start to get booked to play shows and the local acts and the warm-ups are really inspired by you, which is amazing. I mean, you know, if I can inspire somebody, uh, it's, uh, I really appreciate that. And I'm so lucky I can be that for someone, but at the same time, you end up playing all these shows and, um, this, you realize that you're sort of in an echo chamber right. and, you know, what happens a lot when when people when these um, sort of subgenres turn into bigger scenes is they get kind of insular and they're not really it's all about the sound you know they're all you know the next record is going to have compression and it's going to have a different type of kick drum and oh snap you know everybody's measuring these pretty incremental changes in the music and yeah like I said it's just not really they're not really exploring anymore i don't think you know they're just kind of nudging it along and i think they lose a little bit of perspective and this doesn't happen all the time but i think like once i started seeing that um that it was just like really trend oriented it kind of turned me off a little bit and it's not to you know this is not a lot of people that make you know terrible music in the scene you know i'm not like trying to uh say that the scene is whack or anything like that it's pretty amazing how far uh people go with this this sound like the lab scene did and you know if they find something that really works and it's really popular it's just gonna happen naturally so yeah anyway <laughs> uh so i'm not hating i'm just saying it wasn't right for me um or i wasn't really actually i, I take that back i wasn't sure if it was right for me and i didn't really understand my place and all of it. And I wasn't really sure how relevant my sound would be anymore. It seemed like the sound was really, uh, um, all over the place. I mean, in terms of its visibility, like everybody was really aware of it and I just, uh, wasn't sure what I could add to it. Now that you, you know, you're back with this three, three album, you know, what were some of the more, you know, enjoyable tracks that you were uh, able to make for this um, album? Like in regards to what, what, you know, after you heard, after you're done with it, you're like, oh, this was dope. Or just even the process of making it, you know, what was some of the most enjoyable uh, times in making this album? I mean, there were individual things. Um, I mean, I, when I got fat father's, 
stems, I kind of lost my mind. I mean, <laughs> uh, he's just so incredible, and he totally uh, – everybody really killed it, but somehow what he did was like uh, so much like what I imagined it would be and beyond, you know? It was it, it was just sort of – it. his vocals like legitimized the beat, <laughs> so – uh, that was so much fun, and and he's an amazing MC, and and uh, and also I think getting to work with Doom again, and um, getting um, uh, getting to work with Ghostface. I mean, that was like a dream come true. You know, I've been listening to Wu Tang since I was a little skater brat, <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, so it was just just amazing. That that's so much fun. Were you able to get most of the people that were on your wish list? Uh, yes. I mean, it was unreal. The Ghostly team and those uh, um, uh, Dart and those at Adult Swim that kind of got us connected and helped to uh, support the project, um, they really came through. It was a lot of work, I could tell. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I they got – they got everybody. I think there was who? Who was? I don't. I think there might have been one person that we weren't able to get. And I can't re- even remember who it was. It, it might have been. I think it was Madlib. Like we wanted. I wanted to get Madlib involved somehow, and he said, "Oh, I'm not not really rapping right now. I'm trying to focus on production." So, and I I appreciate that. I'm really moody too. I can't you know. <laughs> I, I I can't just do anything on command. I, I well I don't know that he's moody, but I I, I can say that I'm moody. Right. And when it comes to production, I can't just say, okay, today I'm going to do this and go down there and do it. You know, just because, you know, someone wanted me to or invited me. So, um, yeah, I mean, it was pretty incredible. There were, there were, I wanted to get um, Invincible and Finale and, and um, Tarak and other people involved that were on the previous album, but uh, we were really like, got so many people involved already and and uh didn't want there to be too many redundancies with the uh, previous LP so understandable um yeah well, how do you think that the dabri of toothache of now in 2018 is different than the dabri of 2001 well i think like i've definitely gone more let me say uh i have stepped away from sort of the tricks that i did in my beats you know the 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 triplets and the things that i mentioned earlier about uh just the rhythmic tricks and the glitchy tricks and stuff um that's probably the biggest difference um i there were tracks back then that were pretty organic sounding and even on two three i started emphasizing the more organic sounding hip-hop beats and um, didn't I don't I don't really have um, such a strong inclination to make a conceptual statement anymore. Now that I've kind of uh, have a really clear picture of what I'm doing, it, everything can kind of happen a lot more naturally. 
like on the last album, you uh you had this really big record with Game Over with JD and Fat Cat. It became a staple for, you know, an underground hip hop for years and years and years. You couldn't go to any sort of hip hop show without the DJ dropping that record. It was it was a big record, you know. Well, I mean, it was kind of crazy. Uh um you know, I don't get, get out much, so a lot of times I would hear it. You know, uh, my friends would tell me, oh, I was at uh, the such-and-such such stage at Movement Festival, and the DJ played it, and, you know, the crowd was rapping along with it or something. Or there was a moment of silence during uh, Dilla's part because it was after Dilla had passed. Um, I mean, it's just, it's unreal. Uh, but, um, the fun, the funniest thing, the thing I like the most about it is that my friends and my family really seem to enjoy name dropping me. (laughs) 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 And I get a real kick out of that because, you know, like, uh, I mean, if you know me, I'm not like, yeah, I'm Debra, you know what I mean? (laughs) So, uh, and, um. The other thing, the other thing that really struck me was um, I was doing a show. I was playing a show in, I think it was Toronto, and Invincible was emceeing. She was doing her own um, set, and Des was DJing. And you know, I had heard this before. Someone saying, you know, people think that Dilla did that beat, and. Uh, um, Des said the same thing to me, and I said, with my sort of canned reaction, "Oh, that's okay." I thinking to myself, "No, that's fine. Like, I don't. I'm not looking for credit or whatever. You know, like that's fine. I, I'm not mad about that." That's, and he said, "Well, you should take that as a compliment." <laughs> and I was like, "Hell yeah, <laughs> absolutely." Um, I mean, that's kind of incredible, you know. So. I mean, more than the 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 reach of that record was the fact that I could do something like that with uh, someone I really admire and Fat Cat too, um, and and just see it um, see it uh, get appreciated. Yeah, outside of you know all the Dabri stuff. Like you've you know mentioned earlier on, you do have like a slew of other things that you uh, that you've been working on over the years. Uh, recently, you uh, started your own label, Bopside. You know how did that come about? Well, I had been making techno and and um, uh, house music and 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 uh, and uh, EBM like industrial type stuff under the name Charles Manier the aforementioned stuff as JTC. Um, and I felt like it wasn't getting enough visibility. And I had tried releasing this music on various labels, thinking with a theory that, uh, you know, it would, I would have more visibility. Like, you know, if I released it on this Dutch label, uh, you know, the music would reach their little niche audience over there in the Netherlands. Yeah. And, you know, I tried that all over. And what ended up happening was 
kind of the opposite. You know, I didn't feel like I was making any big statements aside from the releases that were on Ghostly. Uh, they have great visibility and they've had a great following and people know to look there if they're looking for my music. But, um, uh, so yeah, I mean, I, it was kind of a struggle. You know, if you, if you release music on a record label, they tend to have their own aesthetic that they want to stick to. So you can't really like say, I want, you can't control much of the, the way it looks and all that shit. So, uh, so I finally, and I'm an artist, I'm a visual artist too. So I thought, well, why don't I just start a record label? I can release albums. I can do all the artwork and I, I can actually, you know, own a larger, uh, all the whole percentage of the music, like all the publishing rights and the author authorship rights and all that stuff and collect more in royalties. Now I know I'm, the label would have to start from scratch and people would have to discover the label, but at least I would always have control of the material and I could make it available for people, uh, you know, later on in life, if people were interested without trying to hunt down a record label and get their permission right. and hunt down record label to asking for royalties and all that stuff. So that's the concept. What's been the uh, you know the challenges of starting your own label? Well, you have to have a huge um, investments for publicity, and um, if you don't have that, all you can do is hope for some benevolent act on the part of the the. Um, the uh sorry the press market and uh i have a label manager uh based out of london awesome dude and friend named uh, ben morris and he uh is connected enough to get uh the material in the right hands um and i've been fortunate enough to have attention from people like fact magazine and resident advisor just kind of deciding that they'll cover it without, you know, a publicity agent confronting them and all that stuff. And I don't think anybody can be that lucky. And if I had, uh, you know, a huge campaign, I'm sure I would be able to reach uh, a wider audience. But for now, we have to have a keep a pretty modest budget. What sort of your uh, vision about, you know, the type of music that you want to put out on your own label? Um. That is uh, anything that I want to. And that, that's one of the real liberating things about having your own record label. A lot of people want to stick to some sort of genre, and um, maybe by not doing that, uh, it's a detriment to, to the success of the label. But um, as long as I'm breaking even and uh, I can get the message across, I think I'm, I can just hope that people will kind of catch on to what the label is and what I'm, what I'm trying to do with it. <laughs> do you have any uh, upcoming releases for any of your various monikers that you uh, record under? I have a new project that's coming out on ghostly called X Altera. It's X hyphen A L T E R A. Um, and it's uh can't say a whole lot about the project right now, but it's, um, it's, it's a, uh, 
sort of a hybrid of styles, and I like to think it's a new type of sound. Okay. Um, yeah. So I don't know when. I think it's getting mastered right now. And, uh, yeah, you were talking about uh, being a visual artist, and, uh, you know, I used to see you, uh, you know, being a part of the Red Bull House of Art um, residency back, you know, years ago. You know, how's the artwork going and everything? Artwork's great. I mean, it's a pretty quiet uh, practice. I get to do it here at home and look out the window and <laughs> and uh, listen, to, listen to some music. And I uh, got some attention uh, thanks to Red Bull, and I managed to sell some work uh, at that event. And um, uh, this local sort of a local institution at this point, a wine cafe slash restaurant called Spencer here on Liberty Street, downtown Ann Arbor. They, um, uh, they, they knew about me actually, uh, I think, um, I think uh, Steve, uh, Steve Hall is co-owner, he and his better half, um, I think he's a former neutral zone uh, student. So there was a, a, a or teen. I don't think they call them students, but um, they uh, there was sort there's sort of a, a milieu or, or community of younger people here that uh, are familiar with Ghostly and, and grew up listening to Ghostly uh, records and stuff. And so and I think he's a mutual friend of Brandon too, uh, MC Cadence. Okay. But uh, he, he he found out about the artwork stuff, and I'm a huge fan of his restaurant and the wines they curate. And I uh, went in there, started going there on a regular basis with my wife, and he uh, um, proposed that we do a solo show. So he looked through my material, and we sort of curated the, the pieces together and had another show and sold a bunch of work. So, uh, yeah, now I'm working on smaller format pieces and – um, I think Red Bull did a Red Bull did another little uh, video about me that's floating around out there. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm working on smaller format pieces and less precious materials. I'm painting on cardboard now and uh, trying to get away from the preciousness of artwork. <laughs> nice, nice, nice. Now, as we wind down this interview, is there uh, anything that we didn't talk about that you might want to talk about? Um, no, I'm good. I think I've talked to you off enough. <laughs> Great. What, um, if anybody wants to, uh, check out any of your releases, uh, the Dobry releases or anything on Bop side, where can they find you online? Well, the Bop side uh, stuff will always be on ghostly. I mean, we've got a contract for a while, so, uh, and I'm happy for that. And, uh, but if they want to find Bop side releases, they can find it all at, uh, bopside.bandcamp.com and um, also fit distribution based out of Detroit. They will um, take orders from shops. Um, and yeah, ghostly.com. Cool, man. It's been great talking with you. Likewise, Kelly, man. I appreciate it. So that was my interview with uh, Dobry. Special thanks to Tad Mullenix, to Sam Valencia IV, and everybody over at Ghostly for always, you know, having my back, always been supportive of everything that I've done over the years. 
definitely go cop that uh, Dabri album 3-3. It's out now. And before we go, I want to announce a new segment on the podcast. It's called The Fresh Pick of the Week. What that is, is each week I'm just going to pick something, whether it's a song, a new album, a new comic book, whatever, and just kind of give my thoughts about it. Uh, I just wanted to sort of pay it forward about some things that I've picked up along the way because I get a lot of things in my inbox and I pick up, you know, a lot of things that are more maybe independent comic books or small press companies or whatever that definitely would like to share with people. This week's pick is the album, Sometimes a Rose Will Grow in Concrete, by the Los Angeles-based soul music artist Cy Smith. Um, I first uh, heard of Cy Smith through some good friends of mine, the Foreign Exchange, um, that collective which includes Fonte, formerly a little brother, um, and Nicolay, um, my uh, good homie from Detroit, Zoe, and uh, they have uh, they've always had a, a rotating guest, um, you know, rotating lineup of guest singers on all their albums. And uh, Cy Smith has definitely had some history with them. And Foreign Exchange has always been a friend of the podcast and friend to mine. Um, probably since I think 2011, I've always been booked by them to, you know, um, DJ their shows like here in Detroit. Um, I usually open for them. Because they usually book their own tours and are, they do everything DIY, and they're they're still doing it. This year's going to be a is not an you know exception. You know, Fonte just um, put out a new album that's incredible, but uh, that's where you know I first came came to hear Cy Smith. And earlier this year, she did put out this new album. Sometimes a rose will grow in concrete. It's fantastic. It is like soul music at its finest, and I, I I can't get enough of it. It's through, you know, we have so much like sort of R&B and rap music that's on the trap music side these days that it's so good to hear some soul music with some melodies and some, not only does this album have sort of, you know, deep content, but it also has some some really heartfelt, happy content, some you know, there's some humor in it. There's, it's, it's a nice range of emotions. It's not, everything's not so serious on it, but there is, there is serious content. There's, it's just a really fun album. And I definitely feel like you should, you know, definitely check it out. Um, just a really, you know, deep soul music grooves, soul music, you know, melodies. Um, it's, it's definitely a huge recommendation um, if you want to hear more, you know, you can always go to uh That's S-Y-S-M-I-T-H.com. And if you do uh check out uh this uh episode of the podcast, um it will be in the show notes on the um website, you know, freshesthepodcast.com. You there's a bandcamp uh link where you can actually listen to the album. I definitely uh recommend it. Definitely recommend that you buy the album. It's 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 always, you know, whatever you can stream it if you want, but you know, that's support these artists like this and you know, spend the seven dollars, you know, for the digital download or the fifteen dollars for the digital download and C D, whatever. Just, you know, support, uh, you know, artists like Cy Smith because these are the people that we need in these uh, really weird times that we're having 
in America and around the world. So uh, that was, you know, that's the first episode back of uh, Fresh of the Word. I definitely thank you for uh, listening to it. Um, there's a lot of ways you can help out with the podcast if you're if you're feeling it. If you want to, you know, just help help us out. Uh, the, you know, you can always subscribe to Fresh of the Word on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Mixcloud, SoundCloud, Google Play, and TuneIn. It's on all of those platforms. Just, uh, you know, type in Fresh of the Word, and it should come up. If you can, please, please, and this will really, you know, help out the podcast. You know, I know you, you know, I know everybody's busy, but if you could just take a couple minutes out of your day to to do so, if you could go on iTunes and uh, give us a, you know, a good review, hopefully five stars, it would definitely help build the community that I want to to build with this podcast. I've also changed, you know, most of the social media for myself and the the fresh of the word uh socials online so uh please note of that um if you want to hit me up personally you can uh, hit me up on twitter and instagram at kelly omega fresh um i'm still at facebook.com slash k fresh and on mixcloud i'm on mixcloud.com slash rensoul um for fresh of the word the twitter handle now is f-i-t-w podcast um, and then on in Instagram, you can find find us at Fresh is the Word Podcast. Um, on Facebook, it's still Facebook.com slash Fresh is the Podcast. And on, on SoundCloud, it's SoundCloud.com slash Fresh is the Word Podcast. Um, it would definitely help if you could just, you know, share any of the links on the website, the new episode, the old episodes, the, you know, the iTunes links, whatever. But uh, please... You know, give us, you know, if, take that couple minutes and share the podcast uh, with your friends or on your social media or whatever. So thanks for listening to Fresh is the Word. Goodbye and good night. Fresh, 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 fresh is the Word.